We talked in this series about the book of Malachi, and, you know, it's kind of surprising. We ended up spending seven weeks in the book total, and that's just kind of how the breaks seemed to, as we were reading through and studying the text, like it made sense that way. But it's only three chapters. I had to actually double-check uh, this week whenever I was prepping because it's like, oh, it's four. But the fourth one's like a paragraph, right? So it's really, really short um, book, and we broke it out. But I want to kind of remind us, in case we've forgotten where we're at in this process, or maybe you haven't been here, and maybe you've not been live-streaming, so you're like, well, what are we talking about Malachi? The first thing we learned about Malachi is it's a hard word right? That God's like, I'm going to say something hard to my people. And I'll tell you what, I think a lot of times we don't want to have hard conversations. We don't want hard words. But, but uh, the truth is that when we love people, we're going to have hard conversations. Like one of the most um, easy and unloving things you can do is to not have hard conversations with people that you really care about. It's easy. Pass, right? Walk by that stuff. Don't deal with it. But Malachi is a hard word from God to his people. And we talk about this kind of in three contexts. The first context is to Israel, the people that he had promised to redeem. Israel, remember, we, were, we found him here at a place where they were doubting everything about God. They were doubting his goodness. They were doubting his love. They were doubting his, uh, his justice, his purpose. You're going to hear some of that today, actually, in our text. They were just wrung out with this whole God conversation. And God says in the middle of the Israel just being wrung out, he's like, now I'm going to send a messenger, Malachi, the messenger, to come and he's going to bring you a hard word from me. I said to you before, if you don't think that the Bible has hard words for his people because he loves us, you've not read the Bible. And it's full of this. But it's not words that are not loving. It's because he loves us. Israel was doubting God's love. They were, they were uh, dishonoring God's name by offering blemish sacrifices and half-hearted worship. So they kind of check the box, go through the motions, and go, that's good enough, right? We've done it. We've done what we have to do. By the way, there's a funny little thing I heard, and this might, we talk, might talk about this later, but someone said recently that if, if you're really dreading doing something in life, you should change one word from have to to get to. You can just change your whole perspective right there. Someone said that, and I'm like, I can use that in my life. I don't have to get up today. I don't have to go to work. I get to get up today. You know how you can tell that's a blessing? Because when you can't get up and you do something today, you feel that. When you can't go to work today, you feel that. We get to do these things. And Israel had got to this place where they were more functioning on the have to than the get to. We get to worship God. We get to offer sacrifice. We get to worship him. I mean, can you get there with me sometimes where you're just like, I don't, I don't feel like it right now. I have to. But then we heard about God's commitment to his people. And if there's one thing that the book of Malachi is about, it's that God is a commitment-driven being. <laughs> His words do not change like shifting shadows. He is always love. Always, not loving, love. God is love. And he is always committed to his people. Right before I, the last time I spoke to you, uh, we talked about how seriously God takes commitment, specifically his commitment to his people. And we'll hear that again today. And then uh, last, last time that J.C. preached in this book, it was that God has a plan for justice and for judgment. And, and J.C. did give a little bit of a tip of his hand toward the end. He's like, there's some stuff coming. It's going to be really hard, right? But God's committed to justice and judgment. And you're going to hear today as we lead into the final week next week that, that that's something that God has been setting up in this whole, this whole book. 
So I'm going to read a few chapters, or a few verses now from uh, chapter 3. We're going to read 3, 6 through 18. I think we actually have 5 through 18. That was a mistake, and fair enough. But we're going to read chapter 3 of Malachi, verse 6 through 18, and then we will pray and get into uh, sharing God's word today together. This is what the word says. I, the Lord, do not change, so you, descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time your forefathers have turned away, Ever since the time of your forefathers, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings, you are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour so much blessing that you will not have enough room to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. 13. You have said harsh things against me, says the Lord. Yet you ask, what have we said against you? You have said it is futile to serve God. What did we gain by carrying out his requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? But now we call the arrogant blessed. Certainly the evildoers prosper, and even those who challenge God go free. Then those who feared the Lord talk with each other, and the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. They will be mine, says the Lord Almighty. In the day when I make my treasured possession, I will spare them, just as in compassion a man spares his son who serves him. And they will once again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. Let's pray, and then we'll get into the word. Father God, we thank you so much for your word given to us as a gift. We thank you so much we have a chance to gather together in this room and online and with friends and neighbors and, and cherish and discuss and wrestle with the things you have to say to us. And Lord, earlier today, I said that not many of us want a hard word from you, but we do. We want you to speak into our lives in ways that matter. Oh, Father, that only you can do that, and only you do that perfectly. We know that everything you give to your people is a gift of love, and that you are not against us, but for us. This morning, Lord, as we've gathered here in your name to worship you for who you are, would you bless us with your presence? Would you teach us, as your word promises, in our spirit that we might be changed? And would you, would you kind of cover us with your word, the blessings and the hard words that we might be transformed to be more like you. What is our hope in this life, Lord? To please you. That you would be pleased with our recognition of who you are and who we are. We give you this time and we give you our attention, our minds, our hearts, and our lives to do with whatever you will. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So you can feel we're getting toward the end of Malachi. You can kind of feel the book wrapping up here. 
as we get into this. But I, I wanted to start with a question this morning. Do you wish you could change something about God? Like, do you ever wish there was just a thing you could change? Maybe one thing, uh, one small thing, or, or maybe a big thing. I don't know if you're like me, but, but I've, I've said that to people before. You, you know, I understand the struggle, because if there was one thing I could change, I'd, ch- I'd probably change this. I don't usually say it's about God. I usually say it's about the Bible. If there was one thing I could change, if I could just leave that one thing out, what would be the thing that you would change? Maybe a little bit. How would you like him to change in your life? Or or wait, wait. How would you like him to change in the lives of others? What do you think that God could do just a little better than he's doing right now? I mean, you watch the news, right? Is there anything that God could do just a little bit better right now? Is there anything that you would like him to do differently? If for nothing else, then for your sake or for mine? See, I think we don't often say those things out loud, right? Because you go, no, no, no. He's perfect like he is. But our lives, our words sometimes, it's funny that on the heels of talking about God's pending judgment, God says this in verse 6, I, the Lord, and I'll say it again today, Lord, L-O-R-D, is Yahweh, the one who spoke the creation into existence, everything that we see and hear and live in, right? I, the Lord, do not change. This is just a claim he makes about himself. Um, The word there is, I don't do things again. I don't do it over because I made a mistake the first time. That's not something that God does. And and you might read that like me, and you're like, oh, you're so full of yourself, right? Like, you don't ever change um, it's like a do-over. I, God doesn't do do-overs. He just doesn't do it. I, he does not change. It's a self-affirmation about him. Have you ever, I ask if you'd ever change anything about God, and you're like, ah, not necessarily. But hey, you remember when you were a kid, and you were playing a game with other f- kids, and then you made a mistake? And what would you say? Do-over, do-over. Take back, take back, take back. Have you ever played like checkers or chess and you have that rule, if you lift your hand off the piece, you, you, you're committed? And so you just keep your hand there for a long time thinking, ah, ah, and you lift up, and then it goes, ah, you didn't see a double jump. You're like, oh, do over. Wait, wait, I want to. Un-. God's like, no, I don't play that game. There's no do-overs. I, I don't do that. I don't change. I, I think that as kids, isn't that crazy? We automatically want a system like that. Just change the rules a little bit. Just change the game a little bit, and then I can win. But I want you to see, because what do we read in that? I think when we read God is unchanging, it's like he's uncaring, unloving. But man, you can't read God does not change without reading the rest of that sentence in in verse 6. Look at what he says. Because remember, he was rebuking his people. He's coming against his people. He's like, you don't think I love you? You don't think I know who you are? You don't think I know what you've been through? Look at what he says. I, the Lord, do not change. So you, O descendants of Jacob. Remember Jacob and Esau? We talked about him a few weeks ago are not, what, destroyed. I don't change, so you're not destroyed. Because if there's any way those may change, it's going to be bad for you. 
What's wild to me in that sentence is, I, the Lord, do not change, means it's God's grace to us that he does not change. How so? Because he will not destroy his people. God doesn't change. So you, O descendants of, Abra- of, of J- Jacob, are not destroyed. And the word destroyed there means wiped out, ended, <laughs> right? I don't play that game. I don't change my mind. I don't change my commitments. We talked about that a few weeks ago, right? He is who he is through and through. Why? So that you are not consumed. So Israel is not consumed. See, here's the truth. It's always God's grace that's saving us. Matter of fact, one of the things that stood out to me whenever J.C. was preaching, he said that, right? We always want God's grace for us, but we don't ask for God's grace for others. Wow. We stand there and say, oh, how long will you tolerate this behavior? But please be graceful to me. You see, it's God's commitment to doing what he desires to do with his people that is the through line that guarantees our inheritance. Wait, it guarantees that we will win the game because the rules are perfectly set so that you are not destroyed, so you're not consumed. Why is it a dangerous practice to want to just change God a little bit? Because the whole game changes. It's not the same thing that God had promised. It's always God's grace that is saving you and me. Listen to me. It's always God's unchanging, unmerited favor that's saving everyone. And praise God for that. A bunch of folks that I watch and engage with or whatever, and, and you know this already, but I'm, I'm going to drop a name. I don't know him personally or whatever. But there's this great line. If, if you can get a great line in your life that you can, like, quippy give off to people, that's pretty slick, you know. I'll give you an example. Chick-fil-A always says, my pleasure, right? <laughs> you get some Chick-fil-A. I don't know if you guys like Chick-fil-A. It's great. <laughs> my pleasure. Uh, there was a movie or something where someone said, my pleasure, my treasure. And so I always say that back to them when they say that. I say it in my breath because it's super weird to say my treasure. But it rhymes. It's pretty cool. You can do it if you want to. That's not the line, though. Here's one. Dave Ramsey, right? You know, you guys know I have the Dave Ramsey, Dave, whatever. Every time someone asks him, how are you, Dave? What's he say? Better than I deserve. And at first I'm like, oh, that's quick. That's cute. Second time he said, I'm like, that's, that's interesting. Third time, that's kind of annoying. And then all of a sudden, the key just unlocked. I'm like, better than I deserve. Like, that's an answer you can always give on the good days and the bad days. How you doing? Better than I deserve, right? We, there's this thing we want to elevate ourselves above God. What? God can make us, as he would say, a greasy spot if he wanted to. <laughs> you think you don't have God's favor already? Like, look around. I love that song. That song, that anthem we sang this morning, we are blessed. We are blessed. You got to recognize that. It's always God's grace that's saving us. It's always God's grace that's saving others. And we are for sure doing better than we deserve because of God's favor. Verse 7 then. So descendants, you're not going to be destroyed. What a great promise of God. He will not destroy Israel, Jacob, or his people. Verse 7, ever since the time of your forefathers, you have turned away from my decrees and you have not kept them. He's like, you've always been turning away. I want you to see the history that God gets into there. He says, ever since the time of your ancestors, 
right? And you might go like, well, we haven't done anything wrong, right? Like, what did we do? It's not our fault, right? And he's like, ever since the time immortal, you've always been turning away from me, turning away from what's he say? My ordinances, those are my statutes, those are my requirements, those are my rules, You've always been walking away from the board game because you don't want to play by my rules. You've always been walking away from the arrangements I've made. You've always turned away. And then the second part, he says, and you have not kept them. And the, the idea of keeping a, a rule is interesting because there's one way you think, like, I kept the rules, I followed the rules, I, I did it all. There's no way that you just observe the rules working in life. I kind of had a little bit of an epiphany, right? I can't remember uh, how this came about. I was reading the book of Numbers. I may even talk to you about this. I can't remember. But uh, uh, Jacob in the book, no, Joshua in the book of Numbers, he was talking and he said, um, uh, you will be blessed if you follow God's commands. And I always kind of read that backwards, like, okay, so if you follow God's commands, then he will bless you. But that's not how that really works. You guys are like, you just figured this out? No, I just figured this out, right? If you follow the rules of the game the way God designed it to work, you are going to be blessed. It's an outcome of following the rules. It's not that God's up there with his favor holding out with, are they going to obey me? Are they going to follow me? Okay, now I'll bless them. He's like, you're not even following the rules. How do you want me to bless you in this? And he says to Joshua, Joshua's going to inherit the promised land. He's one of two people that got to see it, Joshua and Caleb, right? And then they get to go in the promised land. And he's like, Joshua, if you go in there, obey my commands, and you'll be blessed. It's going to go well with you. I don't know what I'm trying to get to there, but there's this thing like we want just the rules modified a little bit because then if God would just change the rules and then he could bless us anyway, that'd be super cool for us, right? He's like, that's not how that works. I spoke into existence and everything. You just obey me and you're going to be blessed. You may have heard that in the text even coming up. Listen to me, that you can't help but be blessed by keeping his commands. But here's another way, though, by watching them or preserving them or saying it's worth aspiring to. One of the challenges generationally is us to wake in the next generation to seeing the value in how God has laid things out. Not forcing God to conform to the way we want things to be, but rather to live in the reality that we're born into, that he made things the way they are. I know that's offensive. That's offensive, I get it. But that's the life we're born into. That's the truth of what's happening So he says, then return to me. Look at this now. So you've not kept them, but then here's God's solution. So what's God's solution to Israel, to Jacob, to the people who have been kind of, and you've heard the words, and I don't know if you would have that kind of patience with your children that God's had with his children. Like how many times are you going to mouth off for you? Like, you know what? I'm done with you. I've had enough. But this, I want you to see what God's response is in the middle of this. He's like, you're not following my commands. You're not keeping them. But he says this, return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord. Man, that's how you get back to God's favor, by just obeying him, (laughs) by just returning to him. I want you to see something in here, by the way. He makes an accusation that they've not been following his commands, following his rules, but then he says, you have to return to what? Me. (laughs) Not me. Him. (laughs) Right? He doesn't say, start following the rules and you'll be fine. Dude, try a little hard and you'll be fine. 
If you would only observe the rules, you'll be, he says, if you've, you've, done, you've always walked away, so here's a solution, return to me, God, the one who made you. You know, in, in church where we call this repentance, and let me say something about repentance real quick. We act as if repentance is this moment, you go, yeah, I'm a sinner, I need God's grace, I, I, I'm, I'm screwed up, and I'm not, and God, will you forgive me for my sins? And he says, yes. Wow, you're forgiven of your sins, and then you go all the rest of your life, and you don't ever worry about God again. That's not how that works, because then you go through life, and you screw up again. You know what the response is? It's like the first response. You go right back to God, and you go, God, I screwed up. I need your forgiveness, and he says, yes. You come back to God over and over. That's why this whole idea of like a, a repentant lifestyle is a normative Christian function. Why am I so passionate? Because we are so prideful. We have a tendency to go like, I'm going to go my own way now. I got the Jesus thing covered. I want to do this other thing. And he's like, no, return to me. Things aren't going well. Do you remember what he said to them? You're flooding my altar with tears. What's the solution? Return to me. They're there. They're like, we're doing all this stuff. We're following the rules. We, got the, we think we understand how this works. And he's like, you don't because you don't have me. I'm stunned. Oh, man, I got to focus here for a minute, but I'm stunned about how our tendency, if only we would have better leaders, if only we'd have a better role model, if only we'd have whatever, and then we neglect the fact that we have God, God's self. Like, I mean, just talking to our context, you, you want a better president? You, you want a better governor? You have God, God's self. Like, and this isn't a unique problem to us, because that's what Israel did. Yeah, 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 we got you, God, but we want a king. <laughs> yeah, 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 the kings are terrible. We want judges, because <laughs> then we'll have justice. If you read the book, it doesn't go well. And at the end, and this is the audacity, is that the people of God, including us, then condemn him for the broken system. And he's like, nah, return to me. Come back to me. You repent and turn around. And then there's a really interesting thing. He says, if, he says, you return to me and I will return to you. And I have to wonder if he's saying that if you take a step my way, I'll take a step your way. Right? We're just going to go even Stevens, right? And we'll just take a win. It's fair. That's not what he's saying. He's like, I'm unchanging. I'm unmovable. I am here. You want to know me? You come to me. You come my terms, my way. And when you get here, I'll return to you. And I don't think he means I'm going to step towards you now. I think he means that when you get here, you're going to have all of me. Do you miss God in your life? Right? Do you wonder where he's at right now? Return to him. And he will give you all of himself. I mean, we were saying today, it's been a crazy time. Return to God. Who do we think is saving us? What have we been counting on? The message is always the same. Repent, that's the word to turn around. Turn back and retreat. Oh, what a great word. The word return to him can mean retreat to God. You know what happens sometimes with Israel? They would go out and, and they would be disobedient and things would not go well and then they would retreat and they would go back to the last place they found God and wait for him. Okay, we got that wrong. <laughs> we'll wait here for you. <laughs> He's like, that's a good plan. That's probably the best plan you've had all day. Wait for me. Return to me. Listen, maybe you're there. I mean, maybe you're hurting. Maybe things aren't as you expected. Maybe the rules of the game, you don't think they're fair. You know what we do? Return to God. Just come back. 
We're going to talk about how we do that, but just acknowledging that he's the one that made the whole system. He invented, he created everything. And if you want all of God, we have to go to him to get it. Where else will we find it? Where else? Another way you could ask the question whenever we say, man, God's just like not in my life right now. The question we have to ask is who left who? Like were you just standing there being all obedient and great and then God like slowly like sidled away from you like this just to see if you'd notice? Uh, we just wander off, man. Got it, got it, understand it, and we go our own way. And then we act as if God has nothing to say about our lives, about who we are and about how we are. One more point here on seven, and we'll jump. Look at this. Return to me, and I'll return to you. And here is the word again. I told you, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital E is what? Yahweh. But the Almighty is of hosts. And every time that's tagged on to Yahweh's name, he means the God of power, the God of authority. Listen, the God that commands legions of angels. <laughs> I mean, he, he doesn't need you fighting for him. You need him fighting for you, right? When he says that, he's like, I'm the one who will return to you. The God of power, of authority, of ability returns to us in our, listen, repentance. That's the God that we serve. Praise God for that. He doesn't change. He invites us to return to him. Now we're going to get into the too, many, too many of these didactic dialectics, right, where he's ta talking to Israel. But you ask, how are we to return? Okay, so we'll come back, God, how? And then he flips the script. He says, will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. Now this is an interesting turn of events. She's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. We're just talking about returning to you. I'm cool with that. But now I have to come back in a certain way? Like, how do I do it? Give me the rules. Give me the rules and I'll do it. And he said, will a, and I want to point out two things. Will a man, the word in the Hebrew is Adam, right? And that just means man. That's why Adam's name is Adam, by the way, in case you all are wondering. Adam means man. And so, will Adam rob Elohim? Elohim's interesting here because he could have said Yahweh, the creator, he says Elohim. Elohim would be anyone who's above, right? There is Elohim. It's a self-applied self title. But he's like, what is he saying? A mere mortal? You're going to steal from me? How do we return to you? Will a, will a mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. You steal from me. Like, what? What the heck? And then they ask the question. How do you, how do we rob from you? Like, I've not, I haven't noticed that in my life. And then God says this, in tithes and offerings, you're under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are or have been robbing me. Now, this is interesting because this is where we get to that point, robbing God. How does Adam rob Elohim, Right? God is God and we are not. First of all, he's defining terms here. And I say that's one of the fundamental things we got to get right is to recognize that God is God and we are not. I can't get off on a tangent. But that's the fundamental pieces on the board, right? Our God, all of us. That's how that works. How have we robbed you in tithes and offerings? And then I go, my cynical side goes, aha, there it is. Money, baby. <laughs> like, this is what it's about. It's all about the Benjamins. It's all about the money. If you feel that way, I want you to hold the thought just for a second. I want you to hold that thought. We're going to 
uh, come back to it in a minute. But I want to give you some definitions for this. And we've talked about it before, but I, I just think it's worth kind of standing on it for a second. And so it's super clear. I want to associate it so much that you recognize automatically what we're talking about. How we're robbing you in tithes and offerings. A tithe means a tenth. Now, you would think that would be pretty obvious, and some of you probably already knew that, right? But, I, but all the time, and like biblically literate people will say, oh yeah, we're going we're gonna to tithe about 3%. I know, I feel that. Just hold on. We're going to give 1 in 10 about 1% of the time. I mean, there's some kind of way we're playing with numbers there. A tithe is a tenth of everything. Do you recall what God said about bringing the animals into the storehouse? They weren't even bringing the best animals in. And I want to remind you that the culture he's speaking to, it wasn't like they were carrying around bags of cash. Although it did get to the temple system where they could go in, they could cash, they could cash out an animal home, take it to the temple, and they could buy, remember when Jesus flipped the tables over in the, in the temple? And they could buy a, a worthy animal and then they could offer the animal and they could just transport the money. So it was a whole system built around this kind of offerings thing. But it was intended to be that one in every 10, one in every 10 is given back to God, right? And that's, that's his design. Those are the rules that he set out. Interesting that that's his design. But what's the second thing here then? The offering. So it's a tithe is not an offering. What's an offering? Now this is really remarkable, but an offering is a heavy gift made for sacred use. The only time I can think of offerings is like when they built the temple. If you ever read the Bible and how they built the temple, it was a glorious Oh, unbelievable project where they took on. And they would literally weigh things out in like thousands and thousands of whatever the equivalent of pounds were at the time, right? They would just bring in the storehouse. And so it wasn't like this kind of like, what, one for you, nine for me. One for you, nine for me. It wasn't like that. It was like, and now that I've done that, I'm gonna go over here and this whole thing, and I'm gonna put it on my shoulder, right? And I'm gonna carry it into the temple and I'm gonna put it down and say, use it for good stuff. That's an offering. You might have heard it said this way before, by the way. An offering is in a, a addition to a tithe. I say it this way. A tithe is the beginning of generosity. By the way, I don't mean God's temple. I'm just saying that we're going to get there, but it's the beginning of generosity in our lives. What in the world? How is this robbing God? What, what, is, what is God talking about with his people when they say this, when he says this to them? Let's read on. Let's see here. Uh, Tithes and offerings, nine. You are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you're robbing me. Wow, that's interesting. You're under a curse because you're robbing me. Wait a minute. There's another way you can read that too. You're under a curse because you're robbing me and the whole nation. Because God's caring for all of his people. And he has a system in place to care for all the people. And they're cheating not just God but other people as well because we're going to find out why. Let's just read it now. We'll find out. Bring, verse 10, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. There, what's the purpose of the tithe? Is that there be food, sustenance in the house of God. And then he says this, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not store open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have enough room to store it. You've heard that before. And he's going to go on and talk about it. Now, let me just confess something here. I've heard this preached before. So there's two purposes, food in the storehouse and to demonstrate God's blessing or provision. That's the two purposes of giving a tithe, right? A, a recognition of God's generosity to us. But let me just walk this out for a minute. I've heard this uh, preached like this. Give me your money. 
Just give me your money. If you don't know why you're not blessed yet in life, because you ain't given enough money. If you just give some money, you'll be blessed. That's what you got to do is give me the money. And I, I, I know I'm a pastor. I know I'm a preacher or whatever you want to call me. But here's the thing. Every time I just go, oh, that's gross. Like, that's not what it is. I'm not going to come give you my money so that I'll get a big thing back. You know, you write in the seed and it comes back as a harvest and all this stuff. And I'm not. I'm trying to be careful. Not, but, boy, it just doesn't feel like the gospel to me. It feels wrong. It feels like a charlatan. You know I've been a pastor here for a while. That's, no, not what we do. But I've heard it preached that way. Here's something else I've heard said before. This is interesting. Uh, pastor talk, by the way, real quick. Someone one time told me um, the wall and the purse is the last to come in the building and the first thing to leave. Somebody told me one time when I was a young pastor. I'm like, what? Oh, yeah, it's the last. What does that mean? It's a sign of commitment. It's a sign of what's happening. Here's the third thing. It's the beginning of generosity because you already have more than you need. I told you a few weeks ago that I do premarital counseling for couples before they get married, right? One of the sessions, we spent a whole session on financing. And that's not so that we can tell people how to handle their money. But one of the challenges in the financing is giving, right? And I always want to take out that giving to this church, giving to me, that's not the goal. But in order to become, to, in order to live in the system that God has created, you have to make a decision in your life to live on less than you have, let me tell you why. Because if you live on less than you have, you always have more than you need. I don't care how much you have. One of the brilliant things about this, God's like, you're robbing me, is like a dime to a dollar is 100,000 to a million. God's not impressed with Bill Gates, Jeff Bezos, when they bequeath these inordinate amounts of money that you will never earn in a lifetime because it's a pittance of what they have. And God's not less impressed when someone's like, oh, you gave me a dollar, here's the dime, and let me see if I can scrape together an offering. By the way, I said a heavy burden, right? But that'd be a heavy burden if you had a dollar, wouldn't it? What do you do with that dollar? I'll tell you a quick story. I remember we raised our kids, we taught them three things about money, we tried to anyway, and it was um, give, save, spend, and that was your, we taught our kids to do money, give, save, spend, and so we wouldn't tell them how much to give or how much to save or how much to spend, we'd just say, you decide for yourself what you're going to do, and, but you have to decide the giving first, because here's the problem, if you wait till the end, you're not going to give anything, but you're going to spend it all. <laughs> if you do it the other way around, that's how we do it, you overspend, you don't give, and so the funniest story was, the funniest thing was one of my kids kept, he was very generous. And he kept giving, uh, I already disclosed a little bit, he kept, <laughs> they kept giving, uh, and, the, and this giving envelope got fatter and fatter, and then the saving envelope was pretty fat, and the spending envelope was empty. <laughs> like, it was like always empty. And then one point, this child of mine carried in this envelope, and was like, I don't know what to do with this. It became a burden. I, I've set all this aside. What are we supposed to do with it? What am I supposed to do with it? I go, you got to decide. you got to give it somebody. I'll tell you something about Family Bible Church. One of our long-term missions, I said we're debt-free, right? Praise God, we're debt-free. We want to set aside a tithe of all of our offerings together, all the tithes and offerings. And we want to put it in an account, and we want to give it away. And we're not there. You want to pray for us? Pray, for we, can, pray we can do that. We want to we have a portion of our our money set aside that we have to carry a burden for and say, who do we give it to? How do we get rid of it? Because we want to lead the way that we live. Giving a tithe. 
Here's a question. If this is offensive to you, here's a question. Who allows you to eat every day? Who makes a way for me or for you to live? Or here's a question. What do we deserve anyway? Do we deserve more than we have? Are we already blessed? One of the things I think we've lost in all this is like that idea. I remember my grandpa was a farmer and he didn't have irrigation and he would pray for rain. He wasn't a religious man. Boy, he'd pray for rain. He said, oh God, gotta make it rain. The crops aren't gonna grow if it don't. If, just just pray. Hey, can y'all farmhands get in here? Let's pray for rain because this crop, all the work's wasted if God doesn't act, right? And then it would rain and get in. my grandpa would be like, hey y'all, let's pray that the rain stops. He never went to church though, but I'll just stop the rain, God, because you're gonna ruin the crop. We've lost that. We don't have that connection to a need that God must act that we can have sustenance. You wonder how we're walking away from God? We don't even recognize that he's the giver of the gifts anymore. We think we've earned it. It's ours. It's how we become disconnected from our provider. What does he promise then? We're going we're gonna to move here and wrap up. Look at the verse 11. Because we all want that, like, oh, you're going to throw open the, th- the, th- the windows of heaven. Look at what it says in 11. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops. Do you think God's involved in that kind of stuff in your life? I will prevent the vines in your fields from casting their fruit on the ground. All the work was done. Everything happened. And then there was this, God says, I will. What does it say? Yahweh Almighty, God of hosts, God of the army. I will prevent these things in your life. Look at 12. Then all the nations will call you what? Blessed. You, you'll know you're blessed, but everyone's going to know you're blessed. And what? Yours will become a delightful land, a place of joy, of celebration. Why? Because you have more than you need, says the Lord of hosts, the Lord of the army. So there's God's, you've been robbing me, right? Here's the truth. We're already so blessed it's ridiculous. We already have so much more than we need or should maybe even want. But we're always there going, just a little more. I just need a little more. God has already blessed his people. So here we go in 13. God says this, you said harsh things against me. Yet you ask, what have we said against you? And, and then this becomes like the ultimate thing. And I'm trying to make these connections between the offering in the temple and our own provision and our response to God in worship and, in, you know, the wholehearted worship and are we robbing God to this final piece. And you can see it's an accusation. You've said harsh things against me. You have said it is futile to serve God. That means we have no benefit from knowing you. What did we gain by caring about uh, his requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord of hosts? Like, what good has God been to us? I mean, I want you to just think about the audacity of the claim now being made. It's like the full culmination of our hearts before God. What have you done for me lately? How is this good enough? Look at 15. But now we, and that's us, the people of God, call the arrogant people blessed. Look at what the accusation is. Certainly, evildoers prosper. Look at what the accusation is. Even those who challenge God go free. They escape with no punishment. They're thumbing their nose. They're, you know, they're just 
blatantly, openly ridiculous, and God is doing nothing. And God's people accuse him of this, what does the word say? Harsh thing, this arrogant thing. Why? Because we're saying, God, who are you? What are you doing? And man, if we end it right there, and this has been part of the problem with Malachi, you're like, oh my goodness. They're all getting away with it. If you didn't right there, you'd be like, oh, this is terrible, right? How many times, I want to ask one final question today. How many times do we look around our lives and we go, well, they're getting away with it. Have you ever heard somebody say that before? Like, there's something that's on the fringe of appropriateness, and then it's like, why don't you do it? Well, they're doing it. I mean, somebody's going to do it. Look, there's no, there's no bad result. Look, they're prospering. Look, look, they're blessed. They're getting blessed. And the accusation comes against God. But here, man, listen to this church. We're going to end with this, 16. And Dale said at the beginning of service, and then those who feared Yahweh talked with one another. I love this visual here, right? After all this big talk between God and his people and all this tough message, the, there's a few people, I don't think it's a bunch of people, by the way, there's a few people that go like, man, I get it, right? Like, like I, don't, I shouldn't be having this conversation with you right now. I shouldn't have been with those people over there. These people are nuts. Like, you ever had that moment where someone says something and you're like, the lightning's coming, you just want to step away from the lightning real quick, you know, because they're going to get, pow, it's going to happen right there. Like, you, there's a few people who are in God's people People that recognize the, the holiness of God in that moment, and they just go like, oh no, <laughs> wait a minute. And they begin to talk with one another, and they begin to say, Yahweh is the one that we should fear. He's the one that makes provision. He's the one that set the rules. Who am I? And look at what it says. Oh, and Yahweh listened and heard. Isn't it weird? It doesn't just say he listened in like he was just, but he heard what? Their hearts. He heard their conviction. He heard what? Their repentance. Their recognition. And a scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. See, that's the thing. Like, how's it going to work out? When's God going to end all this stuff? When's God going to make it all right? And he's like, you repent. You believe in me. I'm making all things right. I want to know some things. Who's writing the scroll? Here's the one. Whose names are on it? When is God listening? Like, is God listening when we're all together as a church and we're like hands and celebrating and praising God? Or is he listening when like we're down in the dumps and we don't see justice anywhere and we don't know what to do next? Is he listening to that heart that says, but you are God and I am not. You know best, I do not. That repentant position of our lives. 17. They will be mine says the Lord Almighty. In the day whenever I take up my treasure possession, the word there is jewels. When I pluck my jewels from the world, those are my jewels. Those are the ones. They feared me. They honored my name despite all. Here's the truth. We are terrible about assessing our situation rightly. We are super bad at it. And he's like, they're going to be my people. They belong to me. I will spare them 
just as in compassion a man spares his son who serves him. And what is John 3.16? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever would believe in him would have life forever and not perish. 18, you people will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who are serving God and those who are not. Like that's where God just lands it here. He's like, there's coming a day and you're gonna see the division. You're gonna see the sheep and goats. You're gonna see the wheat and you're gonna see it happen. But for today, fear me, return to me. Here's the thing. I don't know where you're at. I don't know what's been going on in your mind and your heart and your life. I don't know the things that we do that no one else sees us doing or, or whatever that is. But I, I know this, that God loves us, not just all of us so much that he is not going to leave us alone there and we have to invite him in i'm going to encourage you to do that today if there's some things in your life and maybe you've been that you know you've been like screaming you know god what are you doing and all this stuff and i know i'm right and that person's wrong like maybe you're holding out forgiveness or maybe there's things that you need to sort in your life i'm going to invite you to let him in that part of your life listen to me he's the god of power he's the god of hosts and we let him in, and what do we have? We have God again. Pray with me if you would. Father God, we thank you so much for the promise that you make, that you don't change, and that you are saving from among us your people. Oh, Lord, that we would be the kind of people that would fear you and honor your name, and that we would not be game players, like we would not be like, if we could just change the rules, it would be better for me, but we would be repentant people. And Father, you know our hearts, and you know our pridefulness, and that's why we need you to even repent to even know you. That act of submission, of confession, of humility is a gift from you that we can't do apart from you. Lord, I pray that today for those who are listening and those who are, who are maybe watching and, and here today that, that there's things in our lives and there always are that we have been getting wrong, that we've been screwing up or that we have been accusing you of whenever you, know, you aren't doing it. Father, that we would repent of all those things and just let you in what we want, what we need, Father, is you. Not knowledge about you, not some insight, but you. We need you in our lives. Would you be God in our lives? Would you rightly position us? We love you so much. We thank you for the power of your word, the testimony of your prophets, and uh, the, the love of your son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen.